everybody, it's the Mankind Podcast. Kind men, listen to this podcast. The revolution of masculinity with your host, Scoot Magruder! Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Scoot. Thanks for tuning in. We got a lot of shit to shoot. Today's guest is a very dear friend. We're going to talk a little while. Do it through the lens of masculinity. What is that? Hey, I don't even know, but it's time for you and me to get real with it. Yeah, it's time for the show. Hey, folks, what's up? Welcome to the first episode of the Mankind Podcast with me, your host, Scoot Magruder. With me, as always, is Mike, Mike 1 and Mike 2, and we are proud to be coming at you live from 640, uh, the site where all the magic uh, takes place. Today's guest is a very dear friend of mine. Bryce Rademan is in the house he is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Spitz Mediterranean Restaurant Group, and he has got quite a story to share for you guys today. Purpose of the Mankind Podcast is to talk about masculinity. What does that mean to be a man? What are we going through today with uh, everything that's happening in the news and uh, role models that guys have? What I'm trying to do is have conversations with friends, mentors, professionals uh, in their respective areas and have conversations about their lives and their ideas on what masculinity is and hopefully um, creating a revolution of masculinity and looking at it from a place of uh, healthy discussion rather than uh, toxic masculinity. We want to demystify that and understand what does it mean to how can we be healthy men and how can we be uh, healthily masculine. So, I'm Scoot, and it's my pleasure that you're joining us for this ride. Without further ado, Bryce Rademan. Bryce, how are you? Hey, Scooter. How's it going? Good. Um, what did you eat for breakfast today? I had uh, a Luna bar right when I woke up. Then I walked my dog, and then I had some oatmeal. Okay. Chia seeds <laughs> and peanut butter and... So- and blueberries and bananas, delicious. Blueberries and bananas, chia chia seeds. I yeah. mean, it's like right when you woke up, the little bar is like right on your bedside yeah. table. <laughs> you gotta you gotta get energy immediately. Yeah, <laughs> stat. I also have a sweet tooth in the morning, so oh, you it was, do. It was exactly what was needed. You, you have a sweet tooth in the morning. Only in the morning. Only for about fifteen minutes when I wake up. <laughs> the rest of the day, I want salt. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go figure. Are those your two biggest vices? Uh, salt and sweet. Yeah, salt for sure is is the number one. So I really don't crave sweet almost at any other point dur- during the day, but I'll, I've been known to even just pour salt on my finger and, and <laughs> lick it if I'm waiting for food at a restaurant. Do you, oh, is that right? Yeah, it's good, <laughs> great manners. <laughs> so uh, that's um, that's very uncouth. And yeah, so if I you, know. You ever do that when we're out? I'll just be like, it's just, that's just normal I'll behavior. Just, yeah, I'll just keep it under the table so yeah. no one sees. <laughs> Bryce, who are you? What do you do? Uh, well, that's a that's quite a question. Who am I? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I currently do is uh, I'm the founder of a restaurant group uh, chain uh, based here in Los Angeles, and it's called Spitz Mediterranean Street Food. And I started that 14 years ago here in uh, in Los Angeles, right in Eagle Rock, which is near Occidental College, where I went to college. And uh, it serves a food, uh, Mediterranean street food called Donor Kebab. Uh, 
mm. which is Turkish for rotating meat. And mm. I found it while living in Spain uh, during college, and it was on every street corner. And it's these big spits of meat that rotate and mm. get shaved off, and that's where the name spits comes from, from those big spits of meat. Uh, and so there's beef and lamb, there's chicken, and they roast on the vertical broiler and then get shaved off and put into sandwiches or wraps, salads, bowls. Um, and that was 14 years ago that we started uh, the first one, a, a week after graduating college, leased a space, and um, me and my business partner, Robert, uh, gave it a go. And that's kind of been been a crazy 14 years. Uh, we now currently have uh, 12 locations, four of them here in L.A., and then we franchise, although we call it a fam-chise because it's really to family, friends, employees. Uh, but there's five in Utah where you and I grew up, uh, one in Minneapolis, and one in Portland. And again, those are related through family and friends connections. And uh, yeah, it's, it's upscale street food. Uh, you order at the counter, we bring it out to you. There's a bar element, uh, really cool street art uh, vibe in there, and just a lot of games to play. And, you know, kind of straddles the quick service sit down dining concept and um overall is just a place to feel good and eat really good food and you know just really what we strive for is kind of good vibes in general and to leave feeling feeling full but but good nourished and you and robert are still in business together we are yes that's that's fascinating you guys both went to occidental right yes and so I'm so curious to know if you had this idea with Robert. Did you have other ideas that you were thinking about nurturing? Sure. Um, and, I mean, that relationship that you share with this other guy. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a business partnership. That's a friendship that's yeah. evolved. I mean, we call it, we call it our, I mean, our marriage. <laughs> well, you know, we, and, and it is a marriage, really. You know, it, um, it's you know, we have, we are united by a common bond of, mm -hmm. you know, this business, um, deep respect for each other, uh, you know, and we have to basically deal with things as one would in a marriage with really no mm. option of divorce for us because to divorce each other in this would mean really having a business that's not functioning properly. You mm. know, we really need each other for this business to work. And, uh, those early years when we were working, you know, 15 hours a day, every day, doing every position in the restaurant. I mean, we didn't have employees when we opened. Mm. It was me and him and his girlfriend at the time was our cashier. But, you know, we were prepping the food, cooking the food, uh, dealing with customers, c cooking, cleaning, and then, you know, and then just realizing we had to do that every single day. At what point did you realize that you were in a position to hire or a position where you were becoming successful? Yeah, I mean, gradually as as we got busier and realized if we're going to survive this process, I need somebody to help, <laughs> you know. So it just started one by one, kind of people from the neighborhood we would hire bit by bit. But, I mean, it took years to get to a point where, you know, I mean, we were performing employee roles for five or six years as, uh, you know, where we're really in there actually making food still and, and whatnot. And only as we've 
really grown. And I guess the last eight years, we've been able to have general managers. And uh, only recently, we have an operations manager, which oversees the general managers so that we can go and help open ones uh, outside of L.A. So there's always work to be done in it. And I guess I think we felt successful from the get-go because we were paying our bills. Yeah. You know, I don't think we were paying ourselves much. But it didn't matter. We were 22 years old. Right. You know, <laughs> luckily we didn't need much. And, um, you know, I think that was one of the keys to it working is that we didn't have a lot of overhead. We didn't have a bunch of people to pay. It was just, right. you know, we were able to survive and make it work. And it was just us working in there. Do you remember, like, I think this was in the summer of 2006 that I worked with you guys for like a month or two. You did. You did. Of and, course. Uh, one of the dudes from Harold and Kumar came in. Yeah. Um, and that was like, that was yeah. a huge claim to fame. Yes. Yeah. Like, and it was funny. I mean, working there, we, we saw and got to meet all sorts of people. I usually don't know who celebrities are because mm -hmm. I just am kind of clueless a lot of times like that. And yeah. usually the person next to me would be like, Oh my God, that was that guy from that show. <laughs> and so it was cool. Um, you know, it was, it was cool. I, I really enjoyed meeting all the customers and we really became great friends with a lot of customers. That's something I think I do miss as, as I've kind of risen up the ranks and I'm not no longer involved mm -hmm. in much as much in the just front facing day-to-day -day service. Um, because those, those were great things. And I think that was a big part of the success was, you know, you have the two owners in there working, greeting you, making your food, you right. know, you can't, you can't replace that with anyone, you know, the owners, owners making your food and talking to you is pretty much unbeatable in terms of the service and quality you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of client clientele do you usually get? Like, Oh, it's, I mean, it depends on the location. Um, you know, certainly millennial f forward cl crowd is, is what, you know, it's essentially what we are. So, uh, that's what we built it for, I suppose. Although it really runs the gamut from f families. A lot of families come in. There's sometimes, uh, there's a lot of office workers, especially in the downtown locations we have, um, you know, huge amount of office workers all the way to the late night bar scene. At How late do you guys stay open till? Um, for us, late night means, you know, till midnight. We don't stay till like last call. Um, right. right. It's still we, pretty late. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's plenty late. Anything, any crowd after midnight is a crowd that I don't really want to deal with. <laughs> yeah, that's when you start to get the right, kind of right, rowdy right. Yeah. and drunk yeah. people. So, so, but I'm so curious a little bit the relationship between you and Robert, have, um, because I mean, because this is this is the Mankind podcast, yeah. the evolution of masculinity, and the relationships that guys have with each other sometimes can be. Uh, you know, nuance. Like I have an image of women, and this could be so stereotypical, but mm -hmm. women tend to share a little bit more, mm -hmm. um, you know, and guys tend to be a little bit more reserved about feelings and emotions. Um, but yet for 14 years, you and Robert have been kind of joined in this thing. Yeah. Have, has there ever been a time when the two of you guys have, you know, butted heads and not seen eye to eye? And oh, yeah. How do you navigate that? Absolutely. And I mean, that... I think a lot of what works with us is because we've certainly over the years, especially learned to be extremely open with our feelings and share, um, you know, and that was not always the easiest process getting to, 
he and I are very different. That's the reason that things work. We usually are not agree in agreement on on things okay. like that is, and 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 it's but the respect between us and the willingness to to say this is why I think this, and then he'll say, well, this is why I think this, okay. and then we'll kind of distill down why we each had come from a different side. And you can hear each other's viewpoints yeah. without getting like emotionally attached. to Yeah, it. I think there was really probably only one or two early on as we were figuring out our roles, you know, more of the kind of fights, like where there was any sort of raising voice or even just, you know, and I, even then it wasn't that bad. And, and since then we probably have not had one of those because we'll just say, Hey, I need to talk to you, man. Like either, yeah. whether it's about, Hey, I don't feel like you're you know, doing what you need to be doing for the business to, Hey, we just need to talk about the way we're operating, mm -hmm. uh, or this issue. Um, and the play back and forth between us is what has led to, I think a good in between on decisions so that we don't get pulled too far one way, too far my way or too far his way. It's the combination mm -hmm. of both our ways together. Um, that has, I think created what, what works. And so, Bryce, you're certainly not only just your work. What what else, you know, gird your goat? <laughs> uh, well, I you know, as I, I love staying active. Um, I, I have a Peloton, which is those which are those new bikes that like have yeah, this you've got like the class okay in your in your garage. Is it live? Uh, you can do it live, but all of them are recorded as well, and okay. I just do the recorded ones, and that that's kind of a game changer. So. I try to do something active every day. I like to, you and I play tennis uh, right. again, which has been great. We have like it's a like, neck and neck. <laughs> you still beat me just like you used to, but there's, time, <laughs> there's times that I, that I, that I give you a little bit of a run for your money. Bryce <laughs> and I both were on the state champ team yeah. of 2000 and then you repeated yeah. in 2001. Yeah, I know. That, yeah. Was, that was awesome. So that you and I playing this, this started what maybe six months ago yeah. or so, and it's been great. It's very hard to find people to play tennis against that's like enjoyable and kind of in your uh, in your skill level. So I try to do something like that. I go camping a lot, backpacking. I just went on a backpacking uh, trip, a eight day trip up in uh, Sierra Nevada mountains mm. on the John Muir Trail. That was unbelievable. So, I mean, that's why I like Southern California. There's, I mean, there's options galore of things to do to stay Absolutely. active. Yeah. So you're, I'm um, 35, 36? 36 now. Th 36. Do you, talk to me about, like, do you feel like you are, I mean, this is a nebulous kind of question, but like, um, Maxwell, the artist, the musician once mm -hmm. said that he was operating from a place of living in his masculinity mm -hmm. rather than trying to create it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you are in a place where you are fully in your manhood mm -hmm. or do you, do you feel like, like do these things like playing tennis or doing the peloton and going hiking eight days on the John Muir trail? Yeah. Is that, what does that satisfy for you? Yeah. Uh, so there's, you know, my happiest state of being is when I feel tapped into whatever primalness is in my DNA. And I'm not sure whether that's masculinity. I think it is associated with that. And, and it, I think it might veer a little towards the masculinity of that primal male feel. Yeah. Um, 
but that could just be primal man or woman. But anytime I feel tapped into that, specifically uh, camping or being outside and like kind of roughing it type conditions, or um, you know that that to me is when I feel really good, and that and I yeah. do feel some sort of tapping into. I I don't know what else to call it except just some sort of primal being where I I feel like this is this is satisfying a desire that came through my DNA through ancestors and ancestors yeah. of I, I just feel like I'm 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 centered I suppose. Do you do you feel like maybe growing up in Utah did something like that to you for you? Sure, and you know of course I grew up doing all that stuff, and you know my parents. Um, themselves were big outdoors people and so that certainly is something that I grew up with but I wasn't when I came out to college out here and for many years I really wasn't into it mm -hmm. uh, doing outdoorsy stuff as much you know I always loved it but really more recently did I rediscover that and then within that rediscover that it really did make me feel centered as as a person and as a man I, I suppose mm. yeah and you've been, um, so I mean, Occidental was four years. Yeah. And then 14 years after that. So you've been here almost 20 years. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'd be so curious to know, and I guess I'm going back to your role as a, a business owner. Um, have you noticed that, you know, the Me Too movement or um, that your role as a man in a position of superiority, mm -hmm. have you had to... Uh, be more careful of things that you say and how you conduct yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I th and I think that movement was good for for you know I've I've never been anyone that's ever felt like I've done anything that that could be perceived in that way. I've always you know and thank you to my mom for raising me in a way that I've you know grown up always respecting women and and you know being taught by her. A, and, and I've never felt superior. I've never, you know, nothing like that. You know, my mom is the one in the family that is the successful businesswoman and handles mm. all the finances. And, you know, so mm. like I grew yeah. up with never being like, oh, it's a man's world type thing. Right. Um, right. And, but the Me Too movement, just like any other, you know, kind of civil rights movements, has definitely showed the implicit biases that that i have and society has mm. and it's been a really good way for me to like recognize oh you know the way i say something or or whatever might could be could have been construed in right. some way or another or i need to be cognizant of these type of things um you know and and so in that sense it's been good i mean but in terms of the running of the company, you know, we one of our general managers and top employees is, is a woman, which is which is great. I would, you know, we don't have as many women in the top positions that I'd like. And, you know, we talk about that and mm -hmm. we say it would be great to have more. There's it's not for lack of us like want, you know, I don't care who that person is, bisexuality, race, religion. For me, if you do a great job, that's like all that matters, right. you know. So, it it's always been like that, and you know, I guess we say, well, we'd love more of that, and so we certainly look to look to bring that those type of people in. Um, yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, it, it kind of people rise by their merit, and and that's kind of what we go off. For of, sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm curious about uh, kind of 
your boyhood because I got to know you when you were like 15 or 16. Yeah. That's when I think we were starting to, yeah. um, you know, hit the streets. <laughs> the mean streets of Park City. <laughs> um, but I guess growing up, what do you have an image or a memory that kind of um, you think that you that comes to you when you think of what it means to be a man or mm-hmm. what it meant to, um, you know, kind of the yeah. example of a man? Yeah, I guess. I mean, certainly there, you know, at that time, which was what in the mid nineties or what or whatever, at the mm-hmm. or mid to late nineties, there was still there was none of the movement of of realizing that this this so called being a man is a completely self constructed thing by by our modern society, you know, of being strong and not showing emotions and blah blah blah. And I think the more that we've learned now and seeing that that's created this what's called toxic masculinity and is responsible for a lot of issues uh both in men's mental uh you know wellness and and also just society in general uh you know so i guess going back as a boy you certainly you i guess you'd be like well i guess you have to be strong and not show emotion but again with my mom growing up with my mom you know that was never put forth you know and and i was i was shown that it's okay to cry at a young you know as a male it's okay to show love and affection and it's okay to be emotional you know and and that was probably harder for me at that time because i was in a sensitive boy uh you know amongst my peers who are not sensitive you know so that led to me getting teased at times or being too sensitive for what you know, middle school could allow. Uh, but that's certainly is something I'm proud of. Did you get of. teased? I did. So, I mean, I was on, you know, ski team and some other things. And, you know, yeah, I think I did at the, at, it, at least in my mind I did at times because I think I was so sensitive to stuff and probably overly sensitive in some ways. Hmm. Um, but as I've grown up with that, I'm so thankful for it because it, it, it it has allowed me to feel like a man in terms of I feel like I do feel like a man. I enjoy being a man, but I I am not defined by saying that means I can't cry or I can't show affection or I can't, you know, have these other traits that could be considered feminine. You know, I, I feel balanced in having, I guess, all of those traits, feeling feeling like a strong masculine presence that also is has a softness and uh emotional availability you know and again i i think that's from being raised with with the, a feminine figure that reinforced all that in, into me that's oh that's that's really well said um i'm i guess um i'm curious to know kind of like what the biggest um challenge of your life has been huh Man, I mean, it'd be hard to, you know, in so many ways, I, it, in a relative way, it's like the challenges I've faced are minuscule. You know, we've grown up in Park City, Utah, one of the wealthiest enclaves of in, in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had two loving parents. <laughs> I went to great schools, had all the opportunities that needed to have. Um, 
you know, was able to start business, you know, because I fit into a white masculine role that society, our current society is built to allow to be very successful with no hindrance. Hmm. So I'm going to have to go and say there's been, I've made the most of all of this, you know, and and I've, but I, but I, we live within a system that has allowed people like myself to excel with very little challenge put forth to be honest mm. yeah <laughs> so if i'm if i'm going to be honest with it i and and i guess i'm speaking in a relative way compared to what other people's challenges are people of color women people outside of um you know our society outside of america in america as well you know my challenges would be considered laughable mm. um within that you know i challenge myself very well to I, I'm obviously where I'm, I am because I, I challenge myself to excel and um, to care for people and to enjoy what I do. And I think, you know, I feel good about where I've gotten, um, but I'm very cognizant always of kind of the unfair nature of our world that has allowed someone like me to get to where I, I've gotten. And so <laughs> that's, again, that's yeah. really well articulated, man. Um, because I mean, ultimately, that's this this construct of masculinity and and this society that we live in has um, allowed white men, in a way, to experience a um, kind of success that others haven't. And I think yeah. that's that's um, judicious of you. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about your recently. You had uh, knee surgery. Yeah. Or you're in the process of that. I, I know that for me, my body. Um, my ability to uh, run, to to swim, to do all of these things that my body likes to do mm-hmm. is so much of my identity mm-hmm. as a man. And I'm just curious to know if like, if being, if having a, a situation where your knee cannot work as it used mm-hmm. to, has that affected your psyche? Has that affected your identity at all? Or are you just like... Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, if I, and that's why I'm getting... The knee, the knee surgery and, and getting it fixed so that I can participate in things that, you know, I want to and in a, in a fully, like, you know, tennis, I want to fully to participate in that skiing, et cetera, which I've been able to do without the knee surgery, but I want to get back to where I was with without it. I had been able to hike and be outdoors, even though my, my ACL was torn, um, if I wasn't able to do that, that would absolutely just affect me as a person. If I couldn't get out and be outside and, and do all that, um, you know, in terms of whether that's part of my masculinity or not, I mean, yeah, sure. I, I would say so, but it's probably more a part of just what I think makes a human being happy, mm. male or female is their ability to utilize their body in the ways that it was designed to be or evolved to be, uh, uh, utilized yeah know? and because anything i think you do waste if you sit if you sit too much and you know that is something that's been discovered with our modern society of sitting in desks for so long or under fluorescent lights or you know the apathy that creates in your in your heart and just your actual body kind of atrophy atrophy in a way because it's not being used as as it should be used um you know, and and that's not healthy for our society, and that's something I think that's 
being talked about and, and being discovered is that our modern way of living is not how we, how our bodies were intended to be and that mm. in turn creates i think a lot of the mental anxieties uh depression anxiety in general mm. a lot of these other things that that people feel and then medicate themselves for um you know is i think a result of 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 our in lack of use of our bodies for what they were meant to be mm. but i think the good news is that a lot of us you and i certainly and more and more you know the the being eating healthy exercising has certainly gained steam now is kind of the way forward eating more uh, veggie centric meals all of that stuff and i think people are i think you try that and you say oh wow this i do feel like yeah I do feel like a person again, you know. And do you stand by like what spits the food? D- definitely, yeah. I mean, that's our menus continue to evolve. Um, you know, we have stuff that's super indulgent, uh, but we the majority of our menu and the majority of what I eat is is very healthy. I mean, I couldn't eat our indulgent street cart fries, which are like loaded French fries or some other stuff. I eat our quinoa bowls. Um, um, you know, with falafel. So a lot of times I don't eat meat at all or our veggie, veggie sticks, garden bowl, uh, our salads, you know, a lot of veggies, a lot of veggies yeah. and, and just healthy. And you know how you feel when you eat something and you feel good after and energized. And, yeah. and I was kind of, that's how we based our menu. I said, can you eat this for lunch? And go back to work after feeling energized instead of feeling lethargic and mm. like you want need to take a nap. And that is when you know you're eating good food is when you eat it, you're done, you don't, and you you feel energized. Mm. You're not you're not like oh yeah. God. <laughs> so that's definitely the litmus test we we use when we're creating menu items is how do you feel after eating this? Yeah. Bryce, I'm gonna bring us home by doing a little rapid fire. Okay. I'll say you and me right now will just play off. A, I'll say a word you say, and you say a word that comes to mind. That, okay. And then I'll riff off of your word. Okay. Um, red. Uh, fire engine. Truck. Dodge. Bullet. Gun. Yeehaw. Howdy, partner. <laughs> um, lasso. Uh, uh, horse. Dog. Cat. Cool. Okay. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun for the listeners. Okay, now we're going to do the rapid fire. I've got uh, some words here, uh, about 10 of them. Man. Woman. Woman. Man. <laughs> Masculine. Feminine. Feminine. <laughs> Masculine. <laughs> I'm just going to keep No, going. Maybe, maybe the words that I've chosen are really stupid. <laughs> Strength. Uh, uh, I guess athlete. Weakness. Uh, um, lethargic. Leader. I'm not gonna say man like you want. You're trying to get me to say. What am I getting? What am I trying to get you to say? Uh, baiting me to say to say a man or woman associated with these words, aren't you? Am I? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you aren't. Maybe that I. 
I feel conditioned to say man or woman on a lot of these words. Oh, I'm really? Not to, oh, know. oh, that's helpful. That's good. That's <laughs> helpful um, information. Yeah. I, I but mean, it's uh, probably my own conditioning, really, that's making me. You know what? Even as I, you're the only person that I've asked these questions yeah. to, who have gone in the opposite yin yang. Yeah. When yeah. I when these have come up, um, <laughs> so maybe maybe these words in of themselves are just bogus to begin with. Yeah. Um, but uh, what, what was the last word you asked me about? Uh, leader. Leader. My dad. Success. Happiness. Health. Wealth. Sex. Fun. <laughs> and you. Happy. Cool. <laughs> Bryce, any last words of wisdom for the people out there in a happy place? Um, you know, do do what feels good. Um, be kind to, to your fellow man and woman and make sure you uh, think of your place in society and Anything that's gotten you where you are today, make sure to pay forward to other people that might not be as, as, as have had the advantages that you might have. Excellent. Awesome. Bryce Rademan, yeah, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. This was fun. You heard it here first, folks. Bryce Rademan is our first guest for the Mankind Podcast, and he had uh, beautiful wisdom to share with us. Thank you all so much for joining us here at the Mankind Podcast. Join us every week where I going to interview friends, mentors, professionals in their respective fields on what it means to be a man. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Hope to see you next time.